All right. Good morning. Thanks for coming to join us to worship God together and for the singing and the welcome in the communion. And half of the Salute family came back from the Philippines, so welcome back, Amine. And Caitlin are back. Amine is in kids' ministry. Caitlin's right there. But where in the world is Caleb? Oh, there he is. <laughs> I didn't even see you this morning, but there you are. It's good to have you back. And this morning we're in 1 Corinthians 13, so if you have a Bible, you can turn over there. But I'm sure you're all familiar with this. It's often read at weddings, and so many, many people are familiar with the chapter about love. And it's helpful because the Bible defines love for us, and the world attempts to define love. Right? At one point, they did a study to determine how many songs were about love. And over a period of about five years, the study revealed that over 60% of songs had love as a theme. And it's probably even more than that, right? For instance, I'm going to give you a pop quiz and let's see who can finish the lyric in this song because it's about love. You ready? All you need is love. Oh, okay. You guys are on it, right? But what about another one? Anyone, name a song that has love in it as a theme. Ready? Go. Endless love. Endless love. And that's, is that by Luther Vandross? Wow, John O. I'm actually Mariah. Okay, more Mariah, but Luther Vandross. All right. Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me. So, again, famous love song. Pardon? Must have been loved by Rock. Oh, but it's over now. <laughs> yep. See, it, it tries to define love, right? More. Can you feel the love tonight? Wow, you, you got. What are you guys doing with these old like? <laughs> the young guys with the uh, the emotional love song. Like, uh, what's going on? We need to have some discipling time. Tony has one. Oh. <laughs> But Brendan. Yep, every Taylor Swift song. Nick. L-O-V-E. Love. Love. Not familiar with that one, but I'm sure it's. How does it go? L-O-V-E. Love. Brother Love. Does it really say Brother Love in there? Okay. <laughs> oh man, you gotta love church. This is awesome. So you, 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 the funny thing is, there's so much attempt to define love, but then when you actually look out on the landscape of society, it never really gets it right. It never gets it right, and so the world is desperately trying to define love, and it comes out in in the songs, and it comes out in the themes of movies and shows, and thankfully. The Bible defines love for us, and we can learn how to love as God loved, and that's what we'll learn about this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let's turn there, let's pray, and then look at three points this morning about love. God, we are grateful to come and worship you this morning, and we pray your spirit does open our mind and hearts and allow us to see the truth that you've revealed to us, and not only to see it, but to embrace it, accept it. And walk in it, Father, and help others walk in that as well. We pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 13 and read the whole chapter. And then talk about three points. So he's just talked about spiritual gifts and he ends it with desiring the greater gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, 
segueing to chapter 13, he says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. And here's what most people are familiar with. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And of course, this is a familiar passage, but it's really helpful to see that it was written to a specific situation going on in Corinth to help it really come to life. And so this morning, we'll look at three points that, that address what was going on. First of all, the need for love. Corinth was a church that desperately needed to learn how to love. Secondly, we'll talk about the character of love. How does the Bible actually define it? And lastly, we'll talk about the model for love because we all need to see it lived out in some flesh and blood example so that we can imitate it. The need for love is what is addressed in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13. So there's a priority emphasizing love. And you see it in these first three verses very clearly. There's a list of hypothetical statements. It's not as though Paul is speaking about himself and he does speak in tongues of men and angels and has all these great gifts. But if it were true, if he did possess this tongue to speak many different languages and this tongue to speak to angels, but he didn't love, it says he's extremely annoying. It's only a symbol a gong repeatedly banging over and over. Or if he can prophesy and he can understand all mysteries and understand the scriptures and he has faith that can move mountains and all of that, but he still doesn't love people, he gains and he is nothing. And then if, if that didn't apply to any of them, there's some people who think, oh, if I, if I just surrender my, all of my possessions, if I give to the poor, if I do this and I, and I 
give my body over to hardship so that I can boast about it, but I don't love people, you gain nothing. And it's interesting because the very first thing Paul talks about in verse 1 is tongues, which is what Corinth prized the most. When they came to church, it was a display of their spiritual gift. It was a display of what only edified them. And so Paul says, that's great you have that, but when, it, when it's without love, it is nothing. Even the most talented and gifted people become counterproductive when they don't have love. And that's his point here, is that it doesn't matter. Have you ever tried to listen to a clanging cymbal for one hour? Or a gong for one hour? Who would sign up to do that? No one. But you probably know somebody that's very talented, very gifted. And once they come on the scene, it's like, here comes the gong show. Because they don't have love. And Paul says, look, Corinth, you're a great church. You're gifted. You're talented. But you're annoying. Because you don't have love. And it's a necessity, especially for a lost world, to see Jesus It's a necessity for Christians to learn how to love. In a fellowship, it's a necessity for us to learn how to love one another. And there's a need for it. So you express your priorities by your actions. Christians know they should love, and they say we love, but when you act, that shows if you really love. And so priorities display our genuine Actions display our priorities. So here's my diary. And so if you look in the diary of people's lives, you see what their priorities are. So Sunday worship. All right, we're here at church. That's a priority. 11 a.m., tell Megan I love you. That's in my diary. Megan, I love you. Now, the reason I say that is I can say I love my wife. I'm going to take my wife on a date. But if it's not in the diary... It's not happening. Do you understand that point? Right? Our actions display our priorities. And so Corinth says, we love, we love. But when they came to church, there was no love. There was only emphasis on the self and the individual. Paul says there is a desperate need for love in your midst. There's a desperate need for a lost world to to hear love and, and embrace love. And there's a desperate need for love in your fellowship. And you say it's a priority, but it's not actually happening in your church. Is it turning? There we go. Now the truth of the matter is, we all know we're supposed to love, right? I mean, most of us could quote passages and know and have memorized passages that talk about love on some level. And, And we know that intellectually. However, our actions really display if we prioritize love or not. Just like that diary example, you may say, I know I'm supposed to love, and I do love my brother, and I do love the church, but your actions display if you love or not. One of the most frightful passages is Matthew, 20, Matthew 24, verse 12. And it says, the love of most will grow cold. And Jesus is talking about his time increases and wickedness increases. And he says to his disciples, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. 
And he's talking about people who believe in him. And so over time, it's not like just suddenly your love grows cold. But over time, because of increasing wickedness, we just don't prioritize love. We get tired of it. We get indifferent into a lost world. And, and, and you may say, yes, I love the lost. But if we looked at your diary, how much interaction is there with the lost? And this passage is so scary because it says our love grows cold over time. Unless it becomes a priority. It's also in our fellowship. You say, yes, I love my brother. But if you only come to church and see your brother and sister in that one and a half hour window, that's not really true love. That's just church membership. And the Bible says, and God says, if you really love somebody, you put it into action. There is a desperate need to love. You know, and and I think we do emphasize probably certain things over others. But love is the major need. We need to teach our young Christians how to love God and how to love people. That's a major need, isn't it? We need to teach them how to to speak and do a welcome and a communion and all this kind of stuff. But if they don't love, it's only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. The older Christians, same thing. We, We need to continually teach each other how to love. And so God wants us to desperately be a community who prioritizes love. There is a desperate need for it. Secondly, the character of love. If you look at verses 4 through 7, this kind of describes what love is and what love isn't. There's 15 different verbs that are used in this. We're going to go through every single one in the original Greek language. No, we're not really. But that'd be awesome. But what, what, what you begin to see, though, is because, again, you often hear this, love is patient, love is kind, and it sounds like something written in a Hallmark card. And it often is. And, but, but what you see, though, is that Paul is making a very specific case about what is not going on in Corinth. And, and if you read through this, it's the exact opposite of the behavior you'll see in the church in Corinth. It does not envy the second half of chapter 13, verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind, and we'll talk about that later. But first of all, he says, it does not envy. It's a word that means um, you're kind of causing some strife because you're competing and stuff like that. And, and, and so he uses that same word in chapter 3, verse 3, when he says, since there is jealousy and quarreling, envy, same word used in chapter 13, verse 4. Are you not still worldly since there is jealousy? And it says it twice on my slide, but it says it once in the text. But he says, because there's envy in, in this stuff, there's actually strife in the church. It does not do that. So he's using a specific case that's going on from the church in Corinth. It does not boast. In Corinth, in the first few chapters, Paul is saying, you're wise, you think you're spiritual, you think you're knowledgeable. All you do is boast about how wise and spiritual you are. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't boast. It says, it is not proud Later on in verse 4. And in chapter 6, or I believe it's even chapter 5, he said that there's there's reported there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud about it. You're proud because you say, look at us, we embrace and we accept this brother even though he's deliberately living in sin. And he says, love is not proud. 
I mean, he's picking out specific instances and saying, yes, you say you love, but look at your actions. The true character of love is not even in your fellowship. It does not dishonor others. Verse 5, right? It does not dishonor others. It means, the King James, I think, says it doesn't act unseemly, or it means to be rude toward each other. And in chapter 11, he has to command the church to wait for your brothers and sisters to arrive at church before you take communion. How rude. The people who are wealthy and have money are eating and dining And then when the people who don't have money come, there's nothing left. Paul says, that's so flat out rude. Love is not like that. And so over and over you can see, my goodness, what's going on. It is not self-seeking. Chapter 10, 24, Paul says specifically to the church, no one should seek their own good. But the good of others, you guys only want to display your spiritual gifts. You're not thinking about the community. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Chapter 6, what's going on in Corinth? There's some drama in the church, and they'll say, well, I'll see you in court. (laughs) Goodness gracious! How does it ever come to that? Does it, okay, well, you're not going to settle, well, I'm going to take you to court. That, that Paul said, look, what's going on in your church is it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Man, this should have convicted them as they heard these words read aloud and thought of these specific instances that were going on in their church. And Paul says, let me describe love for you. In other words, what's going on in your church? That's not it. Yeah. Man, that's convicting and challenging. And it's essential for us to look at our own behavior and our own character and say, man, prayerfully, we would not be used as as an example to say, love, you want to know what love isn't? Look at that brother. Look at that sister. Man, that's scary. But but Paul does say, what, what is the character of love? And he helps us understand that it is patient. It is kind. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. That's what love is. And that's the genuine character of love. I think this is, this is really hard. Even as I studied this out, I feel like I can't even preach this sermon. This is not me. And I suspect it's not you either. But as I think about this, I think, man, my, my love definitely has limits. Does not always protect, does not always trust, and does not always persevere. In fact, that's what Jesus says about pagans in the Sermon on the Mount. The pagans love those who love them. They invite people over to dinner that invite them. Pagans do that. But you love your enemy. Love those who hate you. Uh, no, I, I gotta have lim- I'll love people, but I'll have limits. I won't always persevere, always protect, always hope for the. And, and the character of love is it always hopes for the best. That's challenging. It's challenging to love people, but then when you have a disagreement, it's even more challenging to continue to love them. Or that you have ongoing disagreements with. Or people that get on your nerves. To continually love them. Or people that it takes longer to develop friendships with. Or people that it takes longer to develop spiritual convictions. And you look at it and you get frustrated. You think, man, they're not growing. I, I want to keep loving, but it's hard. I want to love them like the Bible said, but it's hard. 
loving people that are just difficult to love. And maybe I'm one of the, most of the time, people that are difficult to love don't even know it. <laughs> you know, but, but this, this calls for a stretching of our character. Hopefully that's not me, as people are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely you, bro. <laughs> but what I do believe is when it describes this, it always protects, always trusts, always is There's like a thick skin to love. It only comes from God. Like, to have that as a quality means you, you, if, if you always protect and you always hope and you always trust, and you, that means when people offend you, you don't quit, okay, our, our relationship's done. There's, there's, a, there's a godly love that has a thicker skin involved. And I think the world gets too easily hurt. And sometimes in the church we get too easily hurt. This brother or sister hurt me and our relationship is over. Well, flat love, let your love grow. Don't just call it that's the end, there's a conflict, but let your love be stretched. Or you fall apart when there's conflict or you disappoint one another. Godly love develops a thicker skin that helps us always, always love people. And on the other hand, sometimes we don't get angered enough. What is that? Because if, if you look at the passage, it says love is not easily angered. Alright, and that means there's conflict and okay, amen, we can overlook that and, and somebody says something dumb, okay, we can overlook that, somebody sins against you, okay, we, you know, but sometimes it's okay to get angered, but not easily angered. Alright, that same word is used in Acts chapter 17. And when you really love people and when they're doing dumb stuff, it, it should not easily anger you, but it should anger you to help them. Does that make sense? So in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, while Paul is sitting, he's waiting for his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed. That's the exact same word used in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love is not easily angered. But here, Paul is angered, distressed, because the city is full of idols. And he's not like, you know, easily just ticked off, but he said, man, I, I love these people, and I see that they're worshiping idols, and the rest of the chapter, he says, hey guys, let me explain to you the real, true God. So I think love is both of these. It's, it's like, you don't get too easily offended, you have some thick skin, but then, when your brothers and sisters are messing up, you love them enough to get kind of ticked off at the sin. Yeah. You see how that works? And Paul says, and, and God says, this is the character of love. And we have to let the Bible and God define that and not the world. Because the world says quickly give up, do it until a little while and then, and then keep going and find somebody else to love. And, and we see that throughout the fabric of our society. It's not okay to let your brother or sister drift. Love them. Get a, get a little bit of anger and help them get back on track. It's not okay to let your brother and sister compromise. Get, get, get some anger and get them back on track. Love them. And on the, other, on the other side of the scale, don't get too easily offended. Develop thick skin because of God's love. Lastly, I want to talk about the model of love. Because the truth is, without seeing this in flesh and blood, it just is theory, isn't it? We need to see this lived out. What I find really fascinating is in verse 4, Paul begins his whole definition of love by describing what it is. And then he goes on to describe what it is not, which is present in the church in Corinth. But the first two words in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. Now why does he begin like that? 
He begins his whole definition of love being patient and love being kind. Patient is a combination of two Greek words, makrothumeo, macro meaning long, thumo meaning passion. So it's this kind of long, passionate suffering. King James will say long suffering. You know, and bro, you just make me long suffering. It means you're in there with someone for the long haul, but it's passionate. There's a patience to it. It's not just like you're waiting in the queue for someone to purchase something at the supermarket. Like you're, you're, you're passionately with them for the long term. That's kind of a passive thing, but kindness is something active. It's, it's you're deliberately showing kindness. And so it, this is very specific that Paul uses this combination of words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Why? Because in Romans 2.4, he uses the exact same combination to describe God. Romans chapter 2. To the church in Rome, do you show contempt for the riches of of his kindness. Same word used in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is kind. Forbearance and long suffering, his patience. Same word in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now, the reason he starts with that, he says, here's the model love is patient, love is kind. God patiently waits for people and he's kind, constantly showing people mercy. He's waiting. He's long-suffering with humanity, waiting for them. And then he's patient with them, but he's kind to them, giving Jesus as a sacrifice for all of humanity. We do have a model. We do have someone who was patient, who was kind with you and with me. How else, if God is not like that, how else could he deal with what's going on in Corinth? How else could he deal with me or you or us? If you read through the Bible, Megan's been reading Hosea, and as we talked about it, it it ties into this because God tells Hosea, you want to know what it's like to to feel like I feel? Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. And then when she goes and sleeps with other men, I still want you to show love to her. And then when she does it again, I still want you to show love to her. And by the time you you think, okay, this this is enough. But there's no way God could put up with people like you and me in Israel, in the church, unless he was patient and kind. There's no way, and no other being does that. And then you get to Hosea chapter 3. And after all of this mess, God says to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. That's crazy. That is absurd. But this is a display of God's nature. And Hosea would have realized it crystal clear. Man, this is how God feels. You know, my, my, my wife is going away and she's with other men and I'm supposed to go back and, and love her? Love her as the Lord loves Israel. This is what it's like. God is patient. God is kind. Think about your life. Think about every sin. Think about the mistakes. Think about the flaws. Think about the inadequacies. But God is patient with you. God is patient with me. God is kind. In contrast, the world has limits. The world doesn't have a model of this kind of love. 
And you'll see it all over society. It's comical, but it's kind of funny. Fly to the Concords, have this song, The Most Beautiful Girl in the Room. Right? And it's funny, but it does kind of hit at a point. Well, looking around the room, I can tell that you are the most beautiful girl in the room. In the whole wide room. And when you're on the street, depending on the street, I'll bet you are definitely in the top three. Good looking girls on the street. Depending on the street. <laughs> Such a funny song, right? But that's how the world is. Like, yeah, I love, but unless there's another option. Unless there's something better. That's how the world defines it. That's funny again, but that's, that's actually true. And it, and it shows up through the wedding and divorce rate. Yeah. I mean, it shows up the most beautiful girl in the room. You know, it's like, man, that's what the world is doing. Depending on the room, who else can I love? That's just what's going on. God says, I'll patiently endure over and over and over. And I'll kindly Keep extending mercy. Keep extending grace. Man, I'm so grateful for that. I could never do what I do as a disciple without this kind of model. Without this kind of example. I could never be a husband to my wife without this kind of example. God, in Ephesians, calls husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I just think, come on, man, that's unfair. That's, I mean, that's just, that's, it's stacked against me, you know, and, and I cannot do that. I, I am woefully inadequate of doing that or loving you like Jesus calls me to unless I have a model. I epically fail over and over. And, and, and some people that are, that are close to us and, and, and see, you know, I have some epic fails even recently, you know, people think, oh, Dave, he's a, you know, Especially some of the young guy, he's a spiritual guy, and and it probably doesn't have any marriage issues, and etc. And you know, and, and over this weekend, I just epically fail. Megan's pouring out her heart, and she's expressing some sadness that's going on. And I robotically stand in the kitchen, and all she's really crying, all she's really saying is, "Can, can I just, can I just have a hug?" And I'm robotically saying. There's no need for emotion in this situation. We're not doing what you say. And she's like, what the heck's going on? And then we describe this example over dinner table, and I, and I watch everybody's response, and I was like, wow, that, was I that bad? Because I see, I see the brothers, and they're like, whoa, that's what you said, Dave? Did you really say that? Like, I am, I am woefully inadequate. And so are you. And trying to love people like Jesus calls us to love. Unless we have an example. Jesus, and I mean God, think about his continual observation of your entire life. And all the times that people see, and all the times that people don't see, man, he's constantly being patient with you. And then he gives Jesus, who extends infinite kindness to you. As a model to say, yes, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I know it's difficult to love lost people. I know it's difficult to love your brother and sister. Because I've been doing it for eternity. And here's the model. Here's Jesus. He's patient. He's kind. I've given you a model. You can 
go and do likewise. And we can, only because we have that model. Not because we can muster up enough strength about it. 1 Corinthians 13 is a great, is a great chapter. And it is the definition of biblical love. Not the flight of the Concord's definition. Not the world's definition. It's woefully short. But we have the example of the greatest love. Let's become a community who really prioritizes love. Let's excel in all kinds of different things. But let us be a church who loves God and loves each other. Let us be a church who understands the character love. It's always stretching us. It, de- it helps us to develop thick skin and not easily get offended, but it also helps us really get angry when other people are going off track. And let us be a church who really concentrates on the model, Jesus, who really gives us the example of being patient and being kind so that we can all pursue the greatest gift of love as well. Amen.